All right, well, let's uh, jump into God's Word this morning. In the time that we have left, I want to wrap up this series on audacious faith. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I challenged you that faith believes the best. In other words, how many of you know when you're born again, your heart changes, and you're no longer a pessimist? Some of you aren't so sure about that. Or some of you are are praying, Lord, please do that work in my heart. Um, I also, just to cut us all some slack, I also reminded us that we're not optimists by nature, right? We're pessimists by nature. It takes Jesus to change our hearts. But you have a, if you're born again, you have a new heart. Can you say amen to that? It's not the old yucky heart. That's why I love what we're doing with baptism today, because when a person is baptized, they don't just get wet. At least that's our hope. When there's faith in your heart, and when it, you're responding to something God's done on the inside, you don't just get wet. It's a picture of death and burial and resurrection. You know, I loved what you said, and and boy, I wish my dad were here in person to hear it, but I know he heard it, and he's probably shouting hallelujah right now, because you said something that was so profound. You had this revelation that your wife was not the problem. You were the problem. (laughs) Um, And if, and you said something else that was so profound. In fact, can you come back and preach second service? (laughs) You said that when you took responsibility for the mess. Now, how many of you know, we get this, it's two people are married, the wife's got to own her responsibility and problem as well, and she needs to take responsibility for her part, but we heard words come out of a man's life that are the sign that he's truly born again, because unless a man is born again, he will constantly blame everybody for his problems. He'll constantly be negative to his wife. He'll constantly point the finger at her. She's the problem. She's the problem. She's the problem. He'll never own anything. And consequently, most men don't know how to be married because they're immature and they're blame shifters. That's what what an unsaved man does. He looks for somebody else to put the blame on. But when you get born again, all of a sudden God peels the blinders off of your eyes and you realize, oh, maybe I had a little bit to do with this situation. Maybe I had a little bit of the blame. And you know, it takes humility, does it not, to realize that everybody else is not the problem. Look in the mirror and start with me. Start with you. When we look in the mirror, this is another sign you're born again. It's called humility. A prideful, unsaved person is blaming the world, and you're the victim, right? Uh, But when you get saved, you turn in your victim card. And you start going, you know what, I'm going to put my big boy pants on and realize I'm the problem, and I'm going to go low and humble myself and ask the Lord for help. How many of you know, too, an unsaved man will never ask anybody for help? Ladies, how many of you ever ask your husband if he's lost when he's driving? Does he ever ask for help? He usually won't even ask Siri for help. Hey, Siri, can you show me where I'm at? But when a man gets saved, he'll actually ask his wife for help. I'm just giving you all some help this morning, all right? When a man gets saved, he'll actually humble himself and ask somebody else for help. This is a sign that you're born again. This is a sign that things have changed. You begin to believe the best about situations instead of believing the worst about everything. How many of you know, some of you in this room, you have, 
You have been your own worst enemy because every time a challenge comes, you start speaking death to the situation and you literally keep self-destructing your life. Because God's like, I'm trying to help you if you will turn to me, if you'll begin to worship me, which let me remind you again, we just had the opportunity here. We sang four amazing songs of praise. And as you sing those from a heart that's full of God and you declare that, you're actually speaking life and speaking victory over your circumstances and you're declaring who God is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're like, why do we sing so many songs? Listen to me, folks. We're trying to help you out. We're trying to help out your negative confession and teach you how to live a life filled with praise. Because if you learn to worship when something difficult happens, instead of complain, you'll have completely different results. Like I, I, I told you a few weeks ago, your best days are ahead. But honestly, honestly, in your heart of hearts, how many of you really believe that? I mean, people say, hey, praise God, my best days are ahead. A lot of people don't believe that. I'll bet you a year ago, if we said your best days are ahead, you'd be like, Pastor, I'm at the lowest point of my life. But God is eternal, and God can see a little bit farther down the road than we can. And God is always telling us, if you'll trust me and you'll open your eyes and humble yourself, I'll show you that your best days are ahead. Wave at me if you believe that this morning. Your best days are ahead. And the ability to see farther was the second thing I taught you about faith. Because faith doesn't look at the immediate. Faith looks at what God is going to do that hasn't yet manifested yet. Which means you have the ability to see the future in the Lord based on his word, based on his presence, based on his person. You can see farther than the average person can see. How many of you know you need to take advantage of that ability? Some of you might be saying, well, God hasn't answered me yet. But this is what's going to happen. Well, I might be right here right now, but let me just tell you what God's Word says about my situation. In other words, you have the ability to see a lot farther down the road than the average person. But the question is, what are you seeing? How many of you know it takes just as much faith to move in unbelief as it does to move in the promises of God? takes the same amount of faith. Same amount of faith to be negative as it does to be positive. Same amount of faith to to, to be discouraged instead of joyful. How many of you know you choose to be discouraged and you choose to be joyful? What choice are you making? The the level of your faith will, will determine where you live. I'm not talking about the house you live in. I'm talking about the emotional and spiritual and social makeup in which you, you live. Your faith will determine the outcome of much of our life. So I'm just telling you, you know what? You, you know who, this, this is the one group of people I hate hanging out with. Whiners. Complainers. My son's on a baseball team, and there's one particular dad. His son's one of the best players on the team, but you wouldn't know it. And every time his son doesn't do everything perfectly, he starts, he grabs somebody's ear around him. And one one year, this was last year, our team was behind considerably. And you know what I started doing? I just started prophesying. This is what I started saying. You know what? It's going to be a great inning. I feel like we're coming back. This is going to be a comeback. We're going, we're going to look at this game at the end, and we're going to be amazed at this comeback. Well, he prophesied just the opposite. And I just, had, I just walked away. Guess what happened? It's one of the most amazing comebacks you've ever seen in your life. I kid you not. I kid you not. Now, does it always turn out that way? No. But you know what? I'm going to choose to believe the best about the situation and not the worst about the situation. And 
This is what I told my son because he blew, he blew a close this week and it cost him, cost him a game. He wasn't sharp. Andy, he hit the first batter. He walked the second batter. And the next guy uh, hit a two-run double and we lost the game. But you know what I told him after the game? I said, I, there's not a doubt in my mind when you got out there and stood on the mound that you're going to mow him down one, two, three. And you know what? The next time you go out on the mound, there's no doubt in my mind you're going to mow him down one, two, three. You know why I'm telling him that? Because I believe that about him. I believe the best about him. And you know what happened the second game? He came back and he got the MVP award. You know why? Somebody's got to believe in you. I don't want to hang around people. Say, Pastor, why are you preaching on audacious faith? I don't want to hang around with a church family that doesn't get it. Life is too short. Come on. Life is too short. Let's not be whiners and gripers and full of unbelief and bitterness and negativity when we serve such an amazing God. Are you kidding me? Let's get together and start believing about the amazing things God wants to do. I'm still trying to get my brain around Ephesians 3.20 from last week from the Passion Translation. God provoking us to believe him for things that are beyond our wildest dream. He's provoking us to try to dream big. I mean, that that just blew my mind. So let's take a look this week, and I'm not going to preach real long, but let's take, you're going like, yeah, pastor, I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to believe the best. Hey, no murmuring and griping. All right. Be positive. It could happen. All right. All right. I said faith believes the best. I said faith sees farther. It has eyes, but guess what? Faith also has a mouth, and this is so important. Faith also speaks. Say that with me. Faith speaks. Say it out loud. Faith speaks, which means you're going to activate your mouth to declare what's truly in your heart. And it's very, very important. Faith has two components, a believing heart and a speaking mouth. And I want us to see this in Romans chapter 8. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 10, verse 8. This is a familiar passage. In fact, some of you if you're ever praying with somebody and they're like, well, how do I know if I'm saved? Or how can I be saved? What do I have to do to be saved? I mean, you know, this is the key passage, one of the key passages in all of the Bible. You should commit to memory and be able to turn here because this lays it right out for us. In fact, there might be some of you here today, you're like, well, how do I know if I'm going to heaven? How, how do I know if I'm a saved person? How do I know if I'm good enough to stand before God someday? Well, this verse is going to tell you how. But I want you to notice the two components a believing heart, and a speaking mouth. Look verse 8. It says, in fact, it says, the message, talking about the message of saving faith, this message is very close at hand. Notice how close it is. It's on your lips, and it's in your heart. How many of you know it's hard to find two things closer than your beating heart right now and the words that are flowing out of your mouth? So a beating heart and speaking lips are two things that the Bible says is where the word of saving faith is found, on our lips, in our heart. Let's keep reading. And that message is is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you all see the two parts there? It says, first of all, you openly declare Jesus Christ is Lord. How many of you know it's very, very important? That's why we ask people there and we have them testify before they're baptized that they have a personal relationship with God. In fact, there's something powerful about standing in front of a congregation like this and saying this, I have given my life to Christ. I'm submitting my life 
to his lordship. I want to encourage you, every one of you in this room, that genuine salvation does not occur apart from a declaration of the lordship of Jesus Christ over your life. And it's a declaration that you need to say loud enough that you hear it with your ears and preferably a whole lot of other people here. And it's not just a one-time declaration or a one-time identification. How many of you know we go through our lives demonstrating that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives? Well, how does people know that? We say it. We openly declare it with our mouths. I want you to do something right now. I'm telling you, today is going to be a wild service. We had to rip things out. We had the construction crew going. We're dedicating babies to Jesus. Stand to your feet. We're going to do something right now. Stand to your feet. If faith is alive in your heart and you've given your life to the Lord, can you all just join me in publicly declaring Jesus Christ is Lord over my life, all right? Let's do it together. Jesus Christ is Lord over my life. Let's say it again. Jesus Christ is Lord over my life. Now, how many of you know when, first of all, didn't that feel really good? There's just something great about surrendering your heart to God. And acknowledging I am not in control. Now, we all know that every time we say that, we're lying because we still have elements of control, do we not? But God is constantly trying to kill the old us, resurrect somebody new, and he wants to call the shots in our lives. Just turn to your neighbor right now one more time and just tell him that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. I want you to do that one more time. All right, then you can be seated. You're, go ahead. You guys did great. Here, I'm wondering, what is this guy doing this morning? I don't know. I'm just going with the flow. All right, have a seat. Some of you are so excited you don't want to sit down. That's okay. You can just. <laughs> and, hey, wasn't that good, though? I mean, you know, you should do this more than once in your life. And, you know, when we lead people to Christ, we always tell them, I want you to pick up the phone or see somebody before you leave the church today. You go up to somebody and just say, I I just need you to tell you something. I've just surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm not living for me anymore. I'm living for him. It's important. Why? Because what you believe in your heart must find expression from your mouth. You're with me. Your lips and your heart go together. So we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, but look at what your heart has to believe. Your heart needs to believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible says what? You will be saved. Look at verse 10. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. Notice that faith is both on our lips Faith is in our hearts. What we really believe in our hearts, we will confess with our mouths, which is why, let me just tell you this too, when you're going through the ups and downs of life, listen to yourself. Because you might say, I'm a believer. But I'm telling you, what you say when life shakes and the, and the pressures come in, what you say is what you really believe. Now I'm meddling with you. What comes off of your lips is the truest indication of what's really in your heart and what you believe, which is why we have to constantly renew our minds because I'll tell you what happens. Men, you're swinging that hammer and your thumb gets in the way. Hallelujah. (laughs) I have this crazy habit, I kid you not. 
It's a little bit of sarcasm, but I'll be walking through the garage and I whack my shin on something, and the first thing I've trained myself to say was, oh man, that felt so good. That felt so good. That feels so good. Oh, that feels so good. I'm just being a little sarcastic, but it's better than using profanity. Are you hearing me? Because I don't want to be profane when I'm in pain. I want to praise when I'm in pain, and I want to begin confessing good things when I'm in pain and confessing what God says, not what my flesh feels like uh, or my anger or whatever, which, again, if, if there's situations that cause this angry volcano to come out, what we should never say is, I don't know why I acted that way. Should, that's not me. No, that is you. The Bible says that the real you is going to eventually come out. So if there is a burst of anger where you're out of control with anger, let me just tell you, you're not, that, that was so unbecoming of me. No, that was, that's, what, that's what's festering underneath the surface. It finally just erupted. God's trying to show you the real you because your mouth is the truest indication of what you believe in your heart. I know this is a hard word this morning, but this is a good word this morning. I'm trying to say that what we really believe in our hearts needs to line up with our mouths and it needs to come out on a regular basis. We need to use the weapon of praise and the weapon of, of confession of his word on a regular basis. Look at what David said. This I'm quoting David in, in 2 Corinthians 4.13. Paul's quoting uh, the Psalms here. But David said this, I believed in God, so I spoke. Or I think the King James Version says something like that. Something like, I believe, therefore I have spoken. When you believe something, it's important to pray it. It's important to praise it. It's important to say it, which is why I encourage you as a family, if you're going through something, pull together. What is prayer? Prayer is simply a declaration that we're turning our eyes to the Lord, that we believe in God, that we're inviting the Lord into whatever the situation is, and that we believe God is big enough to handle it. That's using our mouths to put in action what we really believe in our heart. How many of you know if you're in a crisis situation and you never turn to the Lord in prayer, and you're just freaking out and trying to handle it yourself, your heart is showing you by your actions and your words that you're really an unbeliever at heart. So thank God he shakes our world because the reason he shakes us is to see what comes out of the overflow of our lives. And boy, we've got to do a better job of speaking the word. Take a look here with me quickly. Two different scenarios of counterfeit faith in the Bible. And of course, the Lord condemns counterfeit, deficient faith. But here's the first example. And tell me if you haven't been here before. I know I have. There are those who claim faith in Jesus in their hearts and yet they have no public declaration or identification with him. Do you ever know people like that? I, I, in fact, I've, I've confronted people before in public settings, especially politicians are good at this, people that hold public office, they're great at this. They say something like this, well, my faith is private. <laughs> then your faith is not biblical. And I like to remind them that, you know, Jesus, I say, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, but my faith is private. I say, well, that's interesting. Because Jesus was stripped naked, beaten beyond recognition, and nailed on a cross publicly for you. But your faith is private. Thank God Jesus' faith wasn't private, or there'd be no cross. There would be no open humiliation and shame. But Jesus didn't go private on his faith in God. He went public, and thank God because he did, I can have genuine faith. Our faith in public should never be private. Our faith should never be private, period. 
our faith is a very public faith because it's worked out in our words and it's worked out in our actions. Look at this warning from Scripture. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Everyone who acknowledges me, what does it say there? Publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. You know, I was challenging a couple of my kids the other day, you know, because they're in that, that uh, young season when being cool is important, you know. How many of you know when the, your kids actually start looking in the mirror before they go off to school, they've made a transition? <laughs> they're like going. Pfft, they spray this nasty, God-forsaken odor all over their bodies. Like, what are you doing? Somebody's going to walk by you and faint. Because, you know, the overpowering smell that's coming off of you right now. What are you doing? You're bathing in that. Um, They start taking showers and things that they never even knew existed before. You used to have to tell them to shower, and then now they're doing it. They've made a shift, all right? But the thing you have to watch when you make that shift is that now you're too cool, and your friends are too cool to publicly identify with Jesus. But Jesus is watching, and guess what? He's, he's wanting to know, are you going to lead your friends? Or are you going to be cool and deny Jesus in front of your friends? Because you think that's cool. And let me just mention this. That cool little, little sixth grader grows up to become a cool businessman. And then we go out into our public gatherings, and we have to have the right symbols, and we have to drive the right vehicle, and we have to have the right drink in our hand. And, and, and guess what? This, the little sixth graders just become the... 39-year-old or 59-year-old that's still trying to be cool. But the Lord's saying this, if you'll, not, if you'll not identify with me publicly here on earth, why do you expect me to identify you when you stand before my Father in heaven? This is serious business, isn't it? It's challenging me. Who, who am I talking to? What is coming out of my heart? How am I speaking? What am I doing to publicly identify with Jesus? Because listen, if you say you believe in your heart but there's no public identification, The Bible says you're a liar, that your faith is not real. It's counterfeit faith. You have a a faith like the demons in hell have. They believe in God, but they never publicly confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And look at the second kind of, of improper counterfeit faith. There are those who publicly profess Christ, but their hearts are cold and disengaged. Now, let me just say this. I'm not saying if your heart's ever been cold and you feel like you're a million miles from the Lord that you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. How I many you know we all deal with keeping our hearts on fire for God? And there will be times in your life when you're struggling and you're trying to find the Lord. You're walking in the dark. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But here's the challenge from Scripture. Let's, let's go to the Bible. Here's the challenge. Um, look what Jesus said in Matthew 15. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And look what he says next. Their worship is a farce. Have you ever met those people? I, uh, we had a pastor that came through the line here, and, he, and he's a good guy. He, he, I'm, just, I'm, I'm pointing out his, his words, all right? He's one of those guys that everything's a cliche. Praise God, brother, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's got this list of things that he just rattles off. They're like 15 different sayings. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, I'm blessed, blah, 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 blah. It's like, it's like the, the, the little bless me tape, all right? But sometimes I just want to like, I just want to flick them on the head and see if it's, if it's plastic and phony. 
Because it's the same thing. If I don't see him for five years and I shake his hand, it's the same thing that's going to come out. He's like, the, he's like a little Energizer bunny or something. You push the button and out comes the, praise the Lord, hallelujah, you know, pass the chips or whatever. I don't know. But anyway, it just, it just seems incredibly plastic and inauthentic to me. Now, he knows God and he loves the Lord. I'm not, I'm not questioning his faith. But how many of you know, we can come in here and raise our hands and do all the religious stuff and still do it with hearts that are like a mile from God. That's another great thing you preach. Gosh, you did a good job today. You said that you had to deal with unforgiveness towards her and you had to repent because, oh, and you also had some sin problems in your life. You had some addiction things going on and that you had to repent and get your heart right. And as soon as you got your heart right, this is amazing, your eyes started seeing clearly and all of a sudden you started having a spiritual awakening. I like what you both said. Oh, we knew the Lord, but... We need the Lord, but we were both selfish. We were killing each other. We, the marriage blew up. I got sin patterns in my, oh, but we know the Lord. I mean, you know, this is a deficient faith. I'm not saying you, can't, you cannot not be saved and still have issues in your life, but let me just tell you this. If you're born again, you're moving somewhere. You're moving away from the sin patterns. You're moving away from the addictions. You're moving away from blaming other people. You are moving away from bitterness from resentment, from unforgiveness. You hear what I'm saying? Because genuine faith means you're moving somewhere and also means you're talking differently. You're not cussing your wife out. You're not being negative. You're not angry with your kids and being abusive. It means you're, all that's changing because who's changing it? Because you have Jesus Christ living in you. And, and here's the good news. He will not allow you to be the same nasty person you were before you, were, you met him. Because how many of you know that would make salvation a mockery? Because Jesus has the power to save people. And Jesus has the power to change people. So when you're saved, you're moving somewhere. It also means you just can't co- show up at church and say, Hallelujah, oh, I already know that. I've heard people say, I already know that stuff. <laughs> well, why don't you let the stuff change you? From a self-sufficient, smarty pants, got it all together, teach me something new, to somebody who's got good seed and good soil in your life, you're saying, hallelujah, Lord, let that word hit me again. Lord, let that word change me again. And never call the word of God and the stuff in the word of God the stuff. Because it's not stuff. It's not like oatmeal. When that stuff is in you and you're eating it and it's become you, guess what? You're changing. You're going from glory to glory. If there's someone sitting out here today and you're like, I ain't moving. It's her problem. It's his problem. I'm not changing. Let me just tell you, you're, you got counterfeit faith going on because you're here putting on a show, but God's not impressed because he said, Jesus said, your worship's a farce. Because you're going through the outward show, but your heart's cold and far from God. Anybody know what I'm telling the truth here today? And I'm, pre- I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at me, through me, to you, all right? But this is the truth. We just got to be real. So let me just tell you. Some people say, well, you know what? I, I just don't feel like worshiping today, so I'm not going to be a hypocrite. No, you're thinking wrong. You choose to worship yourself into passion. You don't wait for passion to hit you. You're like, man, you know, I'm just not- I'm just not going to go to church today because I'm not going to be a hypocrite. You you are being dumb. D-U-M-B, dumb. 
Why don't you get around some people that have had an amazing week, whose hearts are full? And why don't you do this? It doesn't matter what my week was like. God is worthy of my best worship. Even if I don't have my A game today, I'll give him my B game or my C game, or I'll just show up. I've had such a lousy week, but I'll show up. Because as long as I get in the presence of God and I release faith, God will meet me. And God will change me. And God will inspire me. And God will grow me. How many of you know this is the truth? It is the absolute truth. Don't ever fall into that self-pity, I'm not going to be a hypocrite thing. We're all hypocrites to the core. We're in the process of becoming authentic, every one of us. That's why we need each other, and that's why we need to worship. I got six minutes, and I'm going to do it. (laughs) I am going to do it. All right. Look at the example of Peter. This is an example of saving faith. Matthew 16. Jesus asked them, meaning the disciples, who do you say that I am? Notice, who do you? Say it again. Who do you? In other words, there's some speaking going on. There has to be a declaration of who Jesus is. And I'll ask you this question today. Who do you say that he is? All right. And this is what Peter jumped in as he was apt to do. He jumped in and he answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, not upon Peter, but upon this rock, genuine, authentic, believing, and speaking faith, that's the rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Notice the revelation that Peter had in his heart. He declared it with his mouth. Jesus said this, A church that is believing and speaking is a church that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against. It is a church that's powerful. It is a church that's mighty. It is a church that's full of audacious faith. And the Bible says it's our faith that overcomes the world. It's our faith that overcomes the devil. It's our faith that overcomes our own lust and our own sinfulness. It's our faith that's the victory that overcomes. Jesus said if you'll move in that kind of faith, that believing faith, speaking faith, acting faith, nothing will be able to stand before you. I mean, you know, that's a good promise. So you're like, Pastor, are you just in a good mood this morning? I'm in a good mood most mornings, but I'm in a really good mood this morning because here's what's happening. Lots of lives are getting changed. Lots of families are getting restored. God is still in the business of doing awesome things. He's always looking for agreement. He's already in heaven, knows what he wants to do. He's always looking for agreement on earth. When heaven and earth can come into agreement, that's called faith. How many of you know nothing is impossible for God to do? So here's the deal. Before we leave here today, uh, there are some of you. Nate, we want to anoint you with oil and pray for you. You know, the Bible says, gather the elders together. If someone's sick, anoint them with oil. Pray over them. God will heal them. That's a powerful promise from Scripture. There might be somebody here today. um, I just laid out for you in very simple biblical terms. What does it mean to be born again? 
Do you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead? He is the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And will you publicly declare today that He is your personal Lord and Savior? Will you turn from the old ways? Will you embrace the new ways? That's what it means to be saved. If you'll do that today, we can, we can baptize you today. That's how soon, and you can publicly you know, profess that you're a lover of Jesus Christ and that He's changed your life. And then you begin this exciting journey of transformation. This is the gospel that we preach. How many of you know we're not going to have lack? Whatever vision God gives us, God's going to give us provision. Can you say amen? We're going to see many, many people come to know Jesus, not only here but in the nations of the world. Anybody in agreement with that? We're going to have all the resources we need to launch Zambia this year. And guess what? We had another request, Nigeria. We can hardly keep up with Roar Schools in the nations of the world. Um, We're like, wow, how's all this going to happen? I just thank you, Lord, that you said in Ephesians 3.20, we couldn't outthink you, outdream you, outbelieve you, uh, that you would do exceedingly, abundantly, above. So guess what? Get ready. People are going to get delivered. You're going to become more set free. I'm going to become more set free. I'm going to become so much like Jesus in the remainder of my life, you're going to hardly be able to stand it. And guess what? Some of you are like, what? It's, I'm boasting in the Lord, all right? It's not, I'm boasting in the Lord. He's invested a lot in me. He's invested the blood of his son in me and in you. He's never going to quit. If we hang in here together and move in faith, Jesus, you're going to be so sweet. Aida's not going to be able to handle you. I mean, you're going to be so much like the Lord. Your kids are going to go, wow, what happened to dad? Um, how many of you believe this stuff? We hang together. I just committed my unforgivable sin. I just said stuff. You all get what I'm saying. I don't mean stuff stuff. I mean we believe the word of God. We're moving somewhere. Glory to glory to glory. We're unstoppable. <laughs> this is so cool I can hardly take it. We're unstoppable in the Lord. We're moving somewhere. It's going to get gooder and gooder and gooder. You all know what I'm saying. Do you believe it? That's the gospel. And how about this? Even at life's lowest moment, when death takes us from this life, I'm holding on to an anchor called hope. And I still believe, listen to me, in life's lowest moment, my best days are just around the corner. <laughs> Come on. This is the gospel. Stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. Hallelujah. I'm so excited I need to be a twin. <laughs> no, I really don't need a twin, but I'm excited. I'm excited. Father, thank you for the promises and the hope that arises when we begin to think like you and act like you and cooperate with you. Lord, we've had a lot of fun this morning. Great things are happening, but I know there's some folks here right now that there's serious challenges. But Lord, we thank you that you're greater than our most serious challenge. And so Lord, we just continue to move in audacious faith because you are honored by our faith. Lord, we just ask you to move in people's lives right now by the power of your spirit. Bring about supernatural transformation in all of us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.